good. My name is David. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad y'all are with us. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Doing that, quick announcement. As you saw on the video announcements, we're going to do a family dinner uh, in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about reopening and what that looks like for us. We're trying to work out all those details. We want to share those with you on April 28th. One thing that we know for sure, if we're going to have more people, we've got to have more people working with our kids. So easy in here, we just add more chairs to the room. Not so easy in the uh, kids area. We need more adults as we increase the number of babies, preschoolers, and elementary school students. So there's a QR code there. I would love for you to click on that if you're willing to uh, at least explore the possibility of serving with our Stonebridge kids. Uh, you can reach out to Katie Leverett, Katie at StonebridgeMarietta.org. She was the one that was leading our, um, our baby dedication. And again, we, we, we've got to have that or we won't be able to do anything else. So y'all can be praying about that and looking to get involved. And we'll have more details uh, on the 28th. Okay, so Nehemiah picks up 12 years after Ezra concludes. So we're at 445 B.C. And it's centered around the same group of people, the 50,000 Jews who've returned from Babylonian captivity and are now living in Jerusalem. It's a story of how they're reestablishing their life as a, as a collected people. They've been scattered. God is gathering, back, gathering them back together in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. What does it look like for them to reestablish or to be reestablished uh, as a nation? So Nehemiah 1, we're going to read through about the first uh, half of chapter 2. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, so that's November, December, in the 20th year when I was in the citadel of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, so that's April, May, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I, sent a time, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So little context, so Nehemiah lives in Susa, that's up on the screen, that's the winter residence of the kings of Persia, and he was the cupbearer. His job is exactly what you think. His job was to pick out the wine, taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned, and then to serve the king the wine. And his, his demeanor, he was supposed to be a good companion, somebody that the king would want to have around. It was a pretty nice job. He had some informal influence with the king because of how uh, much time he spent in close proximity to him. And so one day, Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, comes back from Jerusalem 900 miles away. You can see there again on the screen, kind of give you a sense of the distance. Hanani comes back and Nehemiah just says, so how's it going in Jerusalem? What's happening with our brothers and sisters who have returned there. And the news is devastating to Nehemiah. When Hanani says, well, it's not great. The, the, the wall is broken. The gates are burned down. Our people are in great trouble and in disgrace. Devastating to Nehemiah. So, so no wall around the city. That's like you having no doors to your house. Not just leaving your doors unlocked. You don't have doors. So you're basically saying, whoever wants whatever they want, come on in. Nobody wants to live in a city without walls because it's dangerous. It's vulnerable to attack. So they're in great trouble because they're in danger and they're disgraced because God has returned them to the land, but he hasn't restored the city. It's, it's a ghost town. Hardly anybody's moved into Jerusalem because it's not safe to live there. So it's still largely deserted. A lot of it is still burned out and torn down. And so it's disgraceful. It doesn't reflect well on the people and ultimately doesn't reflect well on the Lord. And you'll see Nehemiah begins to, he starts pulling on that thread when he's praying. God, there's, you, you need to do something about this. So Nehemiah, he's burdened by the state of, of the returnees. And so he begins to, to pray. He fasts, he mourns, he prays, he gets other people to pray with him for four months from November, December till April, May of the next year. He's praying and he's got other people praying. And the, the summary of his prayer was there in chapter one. God of heaven, that's a title that refers to God's power, his ability to accomplish his purposes in the lives of his people, which is exactly what Nehemiah is saying. And then again, Nehemiah starts pulling on this thread. First, he acknowledges the covenant curses. Hey, we've sinned. I've sinned, my father's family has sinned, our whole nation has sinned, the exile, that was just punishment. We're getting what we deserve. But there are also covenant blessings. And you said that if we return to you, that no matter how far we were scattered, you would restore us to Jerusalem. Now you've sent 50,000 people back, so that makes me think that we've returned to you. Or you wouldn't have done that. So we've returned to you, and, and you have returned us to the land. The temple has been rebuilt but it's still not great. We haven't been fully restored. I think all this is implied in his prayer. 
when he's saying, God, be attentive to us. What he's saying is, pay attention to our situation here. We haven't been fully restored yet. This city is still in shambles. In a lot of ways, it's uninhabitable because there is no wall. So give me favor when I talk to the king. Nehemiah's not just praying, he's also planning. Four months later, there's a big banquet. Nehemiah's working. He brings the king his wine. He looks bad. He looks depressed. That's the word we would use. And the king says, what's wrong? Why are you depressed? And Nehemiah is very afraid. And he has good reason to be afraid. One, part of his job is to be good company, particularly during a banquet. You don't need the help moping around when everybody's trying to have a good time. And so he's, he doesn't know how the king's going to respond to his demeanor. But even more than that, Nehemiah, he already has a plan. He's going to be asking the king to reverse a previous order. So this would be similar to you going to your boss and you asking him or her, hey, I know you made this, you know, this company-wide memo went out a few months ago saying, A, I, I need you to issue a new one that says B. And your boss can throw you in jail and your boss can cut off your head. So that's Nehemiah, very much afraid. So Esther, Esther was, uh, Esther was the, a favorite of Nehemiah's dad, Xerxes. And you can go back and read her story. And in chapter 4, she's going to go to, again, she's one, of the, she's, she's one of the favorites of the king. And she's going to go to him and ask him to make a new order about concerning the Jews. And she's so scared, she says to her cousin Mordecai, I'll do it, but just know if he doesn't extend the golden scepter to me, he's going to kill me. So that's some of the tension that Nehemiah is feeling. That's just kind of the way things work in this Persian court. But he floats a trial balloon anyway, shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Of course I'm upset. Why shouldn't I be the, the, the town where my ancestors are buried? It's in ruins. He's pulling on a heartstring. There's universal um, respect for the dead. So he's kind of speaking to Xerxes' heart, or excuse me, Artaxerxes' heart. Notice he doesn't say anything about Jerusalem. No reason to bring that up yet. No reason. Because again, he's going to be making, he's going to ask him to change an order. And in Ezra 4, we read Xerxes, uh, excuse me, Artaxerxes, he says, the temple, the, the walls of Jerusalem, they, I don't want them rebuilt. It's a rebellious people. They have a history of rebelling against foreign kings. And so I don't, I don't want anything happening there anymore. And so the people that have begun to rebuild the wall, it was stopped at some, we don't know when at some point prior to this time, to Nehemiah's time. And so Nehemiah is going to be saying, remember that? I need you to change that. And so he's nervous, so he floats this trial and Let's just see what happens. And the way Artaxerxes responds, Nehemiah thinks, all right, this is an open door. This is what we've been praying for. He gives him kind of an open-ended question. What do you want? Is what Artaxerxes says. And Nehemiah, even though he's still afraid, he, he steps in. He says a quick prayer, and he's just assuming this is a green light from God. This is what I and we have been praying for. This is what I've been preparing and planning for. And you can tell by his response, he was ready. He's not bumbling and stumbling and fumbling. Big headline, what I want, I want you to send me back to Judah to rebuild the walls of my city. And the king says, well, how long are you going to be gone? It turns out it's 12 years is how long Nehemiah is gone. We don't read that here. It's later in the book. And then Nehemiah plows ahead, and I need some other things from you, not just permission to go, 
I need letters because I'm going to be traveling 900 miles through all these different territories and all of them have local leadership and I need a letter from you that lets me pass through there unharmed. And he winds up getting that plus an armed escort. We don't know when that was negotiated. And I need a letter to the lumber yard because I need wood. I need to rebuild the gate. I need to rebuild the wall. I've got to build my own house. I've got to rebuild this fortress. So I, I, need, I need you to give me permission to get that. And the king gives him that as well. And then Nehemiah travels safely back to Jerusalem and he immediately runs into some opposition, these two local leaders, and we'll see them in the, in the future. They push back on Nehemiah pretty hard. For us, one of, our, one of our core values, we call it an anchor at Stonebridge. It's rooted in Ephesians 2.10, that God has created good works in advance for us to do. Our little phrase for that is doing your deal, which is corny, but it is memorable, and that's why we use it. The idea is that God has a calling for each one of us. There's something he's inviting us to participate with him in. He is extending his rule and his reign in our community, and he does that through his people. And so he wants to work through us to do that work. That's your calling. Nehemiah is a great example of someone who embraces his calling. So there's some things that we can learn. Chapter 1, first half of chapter 2, we see Nehemiah receiving a calling and then cultivating that calling. Receiving. So when I, hear, when I say calling, for some of you what you're thinking is missionary, pastor, feeding the hungry. You're thinking of something that sounds really spiritual and you're saying that's not me. And so you're discounting yourself and saying I'm not, I'm not a part of that group. I'm just a regular person. I got a regular job. I got a regular family. That's, that's where my time goes. Just come to church on Sunday, put some money in the bucket. That's, that's my thing. Maybe when you're thinking calling, you're thinking Moses, burning bush. Never had one of those. You're thinking Isaiah, vision of God in heaven. Never happened to me. Paul, knocked off a horse, blinding light, audible voice of Jesus. Nope, not me. I'm out, right? I don't, there's no calling for me. Nehemiah speaks to us. One, no supernatural signs and wonders. Nothing dramatic. He's called through a conversation with his brother. Just a normal conversation with his brother. He's called by God. And what is he called to? To rebuild a wall. Whether that civil engineering, project management, however you want to label it. It's not what we would call a really spiritual work. But it's incredibly important to what God wants to do for his people in Jerusalem. The, the good works apply to all of us. And it's a very small percentage of us who those good works are going to lead us to another country. It's a very small percentage of us that those good works are going to lead us into any kind of formal church role. That's not for most of us. For most of us, it's going to be more like Nehemiah. It's not going to be super dramatic. You're not going to see any bushes on fire. You're not going to have a vision of God in heaven. You're not going to see a blinding light that knocks you off a horse. It's going to be in the context of a conversation or an article that you read or a podcast that you hear. And it's going to, something in that's going to hit you. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. He was burdened. Look at his response. He has this emotional response. He's weeping and he's mourning. He has this spiritual response. He's fasting and he's praying. He has a personal response. He, over those four months, he decides, I'm willing to leave this sweet gig of being the cup bearer and travel 900 miles to a place where my people are in great trouble in 
disgrace, which right now he is not in great trouble, and he's actually in an elevated position. He's given all of that up to help rebuild a wall. And as far as I know, picking out wine doesn't qualify you to build a wall. But he's willing to do it. It's a big step back for him professionally. It's a huge risk for him personally. And he's willing to do that. There's a spiritual response, an emotional response, and a personal response. So if I were to ask you, what, what are the good works? What, what's your calling? What's your deal? If your immediate response is, I don't know, or nothing, take a step back. Are you burdened in a particular area? That's not a word that we use all the time, but I think it's the best one. Are you burdened in a particular area? There are things that we would all say, that's not great. 50% divorce rate, that's not great. Human trafficking, that's evil. Abortions, let's drop the number. The fact that educational outcomes are tied to race and wealth, that's unjust, let's fix it. So there are things that intellectually everyone who follows Jesus would say, or we'll just call them bad, but there's something different. There's a burden that comes when the Lord is calling you to get involved. And it's beyond just an intellectual that's bad. There's this sense of, I, I need to, somebody should do, that's usually where we start. Somebody should do something. Somebody not name me. Somebody should do something about that. Maybe for you, there's an emotional response when you heard about that issue. Or maybe for you, it's not an issue. Maybe it's a group of people. And when you think about fill in the blank, single moms, second grade boys, whatever it is, there's something that it sticks with you. There's an idea that you have that you can't really shake or there's, uh, there's an emotional response. And you may not be weeping like Nehemiah. It's, it's all relative, whatever an emotional response would look like for you. Something that's beyond normal for you. Maybe it's something that continues to come up when you pray. Maybe you have this righteous sense of indignation. Again, something needs to happen. That can be an indication that the Lord is calling you. He's inviting you to get involved in that area. There's things that he wants to do in our community, and he wants to do those things through us. And how do you know what your particular role is? One of the ways, where are you burdened? And again, don't think about blinding lights and burning bushes. Just in, the, in your normal ebb and flow of your life, conversations, things that you observe, things that you read in the paper, is something, does something weigh on you? Again, is there a burden? Very well could be an indication that the Lord is calling you into that area. And, and, and once you sense that burden, the second thing for us we learn from Nehemiah is we need to cultivate that. We can actually ignore God. You, you know that already. We can. He's all-powerful, but he's chosen to whisper to us rather than shout at us. He wants us to cooperate, and so he doesn't coerce. We can ignore him. Nehemiah has this immediate response to the news from his brother, but what he could have done is say, that's terrible, or I'm glad I didn't move back. But, he said, but instead of doing that, he, cult he prays. He gets other people to pray. He starts chewing on, what, God, what, what would you have me do? How, how can I help this? Instead of just saying, I'm really busy, we got a big party, and I've got to pick out the wine, and it's, there's a lot of pressure, or, or, hey, listen, the king's already made the ruling. There's not going to be any rebuilding of walls. Kings don't go back on their decrees. That's not what he does. He, he chooses to engage. 
And the same thing is true for us. When you sense that burden, there then becomes a responsibility for you. God's the one that burdens you. He's the one that calls you. You can't make him do that. That's his responsibility. And so if you're saying, I don't know, don't sweat that. That's his job. Your job is once he has called you is to say yes, to begin to cultivate that sense of calling, to, to cultivate that burden. And you do that the same way Nehemiah did. One is you pray. This isn't something that God is dropping in your lap and saying, go figure it out. I hope it goes well. Again, he's inviting you into what he already wants to do. He's picked you and said, I want to do this through you, Matt. I want to do this through you, Chris. That's what he's saying. So it's him wanting to work through you, not him wanting to send you out on your own to succeed or fail without him. And so pray. And as you pray, that burden will take greater root in your heart if it is, in fact, a calling from God. As you pray, you'll sense that that burden will begin to mature in you. And you'll wind up carrying it more. Don't hear that. At burden, is, that is an, it's a negative-sounding word. I don't, know a, I don't know a better one. It's not, you're not going to be walking around heavy all the time. But there, there is this sense, there's a weightiness, a sense of responsibility in, in the best way. And so you begin to pray, and then I would say also begin to make some plans. Nehemiah did that personally. Nehemiah got ready to quit his job and to move 900 miles away. Nehemiah prepared to speak to the king. He didn't know when he was going to have a chance, but when he had a chance, he wanted to be able to take it. And you can see there in chapter 2, he was ready. He wasn't bumbling and stumbling and fumbling. He knew exactly what he wanted to say, and with humility and confidence, he was willing to ask the king. Still huge risk. No idea how it's going to work out, but he was willing to step through the door because he'd been praying and because he'd been preparing. Now, your yes, changing that thing from just thinking about it to doing it, it's not going to be that disruptive to your life. Overwhelming chances you're not quitting your job and moving 900 miles away. It's going to be much less disruptive, but that doesn't make it less significant. God is looking for those yeses, most likely in the community in which we live, to move, to, to move through us so that his kingdom will come more fully to our city than it, than it currently is and we're currently experiencing. So as we close, I want you to think about three groups. Think about the chapters. So some people are in Nehemiah chapter zero. We didn't read that. So that's, I don't care. I don't care. I'm fine how I am. Not interested in good works. Not interested in calling. I'm not, none of that matters to me. If that's you, one, thanks for admitting it. And what I would say is, let's take a step and just do this. I'm not going to try to guilt you into anything. Just, be, just pray this. God, if this is something that you have for me, if, a t, if Ephesians 2.10 applies to me, there actually are good works for me to do, then awaken my heart to that. Just pray that and see what happens. And what right now might seem intimidating or burdensome, or unattractive, as God awakens your heart, it will, it will become the opposite of all of those things. Some of you are in a Nehemiah 1. You're ready, you just don't know. You don't know what God's calling you to do. Well, then let's just ask. Let's do what Nehemiah did. He just asked a question of his brother. How are things going in Jerusalem? So what if you do the same thing? Wherever it is that you currently live and work and move and live your life, just begin to ask the Lord, God, what are you doing in this place? Give me eyes to see what you're doing. 
and then show me how you would want me to cooperate with you. Super simple. God, what are you doing and how do I cooperate with that? And some of you are in Nehemiah chapter 2. You already know. Like if I say, hey, what's your deal? What's your calling? You can say, this, it's this. If that's you, then let's cultivate that. And maybe the prayer for you is for courage. God, give me courage to step through the open door. So whatever needs to happen in me so that I'm ready when that opportunity presents itself to move from this just being internal to action. God, give me courage to do that. Let's pray. I want you guys to come forward and receive prayer. If you're in one of those three buckets, you're in Nehemiah 0, Nehemiah 1, or Nehemiah 2. We want you to come forward. And you can just kneel here in front. And we have staff members that will come and pray for you. Just go ahead and come forward. We don't have tons of time left. So don't waste it. Staff, you guys can start moving up here, praying for people. It's a big deal. But it doesn't have to be a heavy thing. So y'all can pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray for all of us. I pray particularly for those who will be coming forward. That you would speak. That you would soften our hearts. Give us hearts that are awakened to the reality of kingdom work. That you're not done with our world. That you're actively looking to extend your rule and your reign here in this city. With all of its ugliness and all of its warts and all of its issues. You hadn't given up on us. And we're thankful for that. And you choose to work through us. So if you're not willing right now to say, I'm here, here am I, then just ask the Lord, soften my heart, awaken me. God, I pray for those who are willing, who are saying, I'm ready, I just don't know what to do. Would you speak with clarity? Would you burden them, I pray? My prayer is that uh, even in these next few moments that you would give those men and women a burden for a particular area of our city, a group of people, an, an issue, however it is that you would have them engage. And God, we pray for those who know. We pray for courage to walk through the doors that you open, even at great personal risk, but a willingness to say yes. So Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys keep coming forward. Everyone else shall stand and worship with Bo, and he'll dismiss us in a couple of minutes. You know, I think one of the most powerful parts of this story um, is that Nehemiah, he engaged the Lord with how he was feeling. This burden on his heart, this um, this place where he said, "God, I don't, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be in conversation with you, maybe praying through this with you." Um, and through that, God gave him an opportunity that he could be able to go with all the resources he needed, with everything, uh, to be able to go back to rebuild the wall. Once a cupbearer. Um, now engaged in the works that, that that God had for him to do at that specific time, rebuilding the wall. 
in Jerusalem. Um, and so as you're, as you're navigating through this talk, as you're thinking about, God, what have you burdened my heart with? Um, I think it's just a great opportunity and invitation that we can be able to invite God into daily prayer um, as we're looking at um, events and things that are happening in our community, things that are happening in our neighborhood, at our schools or our kids' schools. Um, just encourage you to be in conversation with the Lord. God, what are you doing in my neighborhood? God, what are you doing in our community? God, what are you leading me to do? Pay attention to these burdens. I think they're very powerful um, part of, of what God is doing as we look at the the good works that he is inviting us to participate into. Um, then just the final thing, if it'd be helpful to be able to talk through some of these uh, thoughts, some of this message, this idea of calling, of doing the good works God has prepared for you to do, if it'd be helpful to talk to someone, reach out to me or someone else on staff. We'd all, we'd love to be able to um, talk to you, love to be able just to, just to help process what God is doing in you and through you and, and what he wants to do in Marietta. Uh, it's all a part of his good works. And so, um, you can reach out to me, Matt at stonebridgemarietta.org or any of the other staff or small staff still. So it's just our first name at stonebridgemarietta.org. All right. I hope you guys have a great day. We'll see you next week.